Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Jerry Hay. Welcome back to Out of the Main. Uh, John, how have you been in the, in the interim here? Uh, gosh, feels like it just flew by, I got to say. Yeah. Uh, try not to uh, put, peel back the curtain and reveal the man behind it. Okay? <laughs> you asked. Oh, okay. Anyway, so yeah, we are back. We did. Uh, we separated our uh, conversation with Jerry Hay to two episodes, this being part mm-hmm. two. If you missed part one. Go back and check it out because we are kind of following the chronology of his career a little bit. We started way back in the early 70s and we got up to the yacht era of his his work as a session guy and a ranger. Some interesting stories there. And we were just getting to the point now, I think, where we're going to maybe talk about Michael Jackson. So mid 80s henceforth, correct? Indeed. And part of the reason we wanted to go into two episodes on this is because you know, when we have these guys on and there is so much to talk about, and I want to get into more the detail of how these things happen, not just what was it like to work for Quincy Jones? You know, I wanted to get into <laughs> that was my question. I know the minutiae of what the sessions were like, what kind of things, blah, 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 you know, with any of these artists. So Jerry Hay was such a huge, huge career, possibly bigger than any of the others that we've talked to in the sense of mm. how many tracks he's on. We talk about how often, say, Abe Laboreal was recorded or Jeff Percaro or Luke. But man, I tell you, you think about these Jerry Hay horns and the amount of different places it shows up. His numbers got to be right up there, too. And so there was a lot to talk about is the point. Right. It's almost like he was the de facto horn guy. Like, so, you know, the corollary being... If you're making a yacht rock record, it's one of maybe six to eight drummers. Mm-hmm. If you if you need a horn guy, it's it's one guy. It's like you got to call Jerry and uh, yeah. Rem- if you're talking full section with trumpets and all that stuff, we know Tom Scott did arrangements, but a lot of times that would be four or five saxes. Yeah, you exactly. Getting, it's not a brass section, right? And uh, as we alluded to in our previous episode, this set the table. I think for they weren't the only ones as we just discussed. I mean, but set the table for including a horn section in pop rock, uh, the way that Chicago was doing it and some others. But just it was like that was the thing in what we now know is yacht rock um yeah and he examined what was possible with the instrument as well you know so many of the greats tend to find a way to get something out of the instrument that no one did before and in his case it's not necessarily always uh being like like a miles thing where he was examining jazz possibilities or Maynard Ferguson, who we mentioned who was exploring the upper end of what could be done as a screamer trumpet player. Now, Jerry from an arranger standpoint was just examining what could be done outside of the realm of the basic vocal, then horn vocal, then horn, you know, uh, his use of staccatos, his use of syncopation, his use of, um, t- the the tightness that was required, all of those things, he pushed the instrument beyond what had been done with it before in that context. AKA beast mode at times, which uh, yeah. <laughs> we will, by the way, if anyone's interested in going back and listening to the episode we, we did without Jerry, but all about Jerry and his career and his technique and his approach, I will link to that in the show notes, but we did finally get one of our answers or questions answered, which was that we asked at the time, was he sort of the arranger within the arrangement or the producer within the production? And it sounds like he was given the keys to the car and saying, the reason I'm calling you, Jerry, is because you're going to arrange these horn parts and we get some brilliant, memorable counter melodies uh, for it. 
All right, well, let's dig into it and see uh, see where we left off. So what were the uh, sessions like for uh, Thriller? I mean, you're on nearly every song. I think of the one that pops out to me is Want to Be Starting Something, the breakdown at the end, the Mama Say Mama Sa Mama Kusa section. <laughs> But you're on nearly every tune, and that obviously that album is probably one of the most important pop albums we've ever seen. Tell us anything you can that, that you, you know about that album. Uh, you know, another one just uh, Quincy. You know, we had done a lot of records by that time um, together, so he would send me a cassette of all the tunes. Go for it, hmm. you know. Uh, do your thing. Yeah. So, you know, in Thriller, Rod had the parts in Thriller. And we don't, we're not playing much in Thriller. Um, you know, he, Rod had those parts. In fact, he had, I think he had every part in Thriller. Yeah. That big intro. Yeah. 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 Um, so at what point did you get from Jerry Hay, the here, Jerry, do your thing from early on when you were just trying to break in kind of where do you, where do you think that moment sort of happened well you know when you plan off the walls and you know people that's at that point was a huge record uh, okay so you know then people become aware of you and i also did the brother johnson with quincy and mm-hmm. i've been i've been playing as a trumpet player not necessarily as an arranger and i'd gotten you know very well known in la by that time then uh, I worked with David Foster on a Bill Champlin's first record called Single. Single. Mm-hmm. Um, so then David and I worked together on the I Am record. So there's another, you know, okay. The Earth, Wind, and Fire. Right. Uh, with, you know, In the Stone and After the Love is Gone. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, by that point, which is 79, I guess, uh, I guess people said, okay, well, you know, let's let him do his thing because, you know, I've had some good success at that point. Was the Earth, Wind, and Fire thing intimidating at all? Because hadn't they already sort of established a high bar? I mean, by the time you joined in, was that like, okay, what can I possibly add to <laughs> this greatness? Uh, yeah, it, it was through David Foster because he'd been writing yeah. with Maurice and I'd been working with David quite a bit. Um, so, you know, he called me up and said, you know, you let's let's do this you gotta help me write these horns and and i helped him write the string parts as well Mm. uh go over to his house late at night and we'd work hash out the horn parts and then some of the string parts and so you know it was through david that i first started working with earth wind and fire was your process like straight from mind to paper, or do you sit at a piano? Do you w- w- mock, did you mock up stuff on like a four track with your trumpet, or what was your process? Like? Um, it, well, you mean with Earth, Wind, and Fire, or just in general? No, just in general. How, how do you write? Do you write like you know straight to paper? Do you sit at the piano and figure out arrangements, or is it well, a lot of times? Uh, th- it would just be so. People would just send you a cassette or dat in you know in the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know they would with no music, nothing. So I'd have to 
transcribe the tune. I have perfect pitch, so that makes it pretty easy for that. So I transcribed the tune, and then in the middle of transcribing the tune, if something came to me, a horn part, I just scribble it down. So I have the tune taken off, and then I like to listen to the song as much as I can, as much as time as allows, yeah. um, which is sometimes a day, or sometimes, like with Jero, yeah. Jay gave me a lot of time, like even maybe a couple weeks. So. Oh. So I had a lot of time, I, you know, driving around. I could listen to it, and, you know, mm -hmm. think about horn parts. But, you know, when I would go to write, it would just be just, you know, back in the day, Walkman, headphones, yeah. and yeah. paper and pencil. And never, no demos. I didn't ever, I didn't do a demo until kind of recently. So you'd show up with the chart and guys would play it, and that would be the first time that, some of the producers were hearing it. It would be the first time. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. Up, up until probably 2010. All right. Who in 2010, who made you send a demo? Come on. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> someone without the internet. So I, I, is that the Jonas brothers? I, I, I did. We didn't do a Jonas brothers. I know you did. Um, <laughs> do you know Andreas, Andreas Carlson? No. Um, he, songwriter written Britney Spears and he he's had a, oh. he's had a lot of success and he was okay. uh, doing and and a friend he's actually the guy who the executive the producer of Dirty Loops he's the guy that mm. found Dirty Loops I am familiar with Dirty Loops um, <laughs> so yeah. he was writing a a Broadway show kind of based on studio 54 and he so it was sort of disco ish era music and you know it it's going along with the whole show and you know so he said you know i really need to have demos on this stuff hmm. mm -hmm. well you know i got like 40 years of demos and here's my demo. Here's Thriller. <laughs> yeah, here's right, Up the right. Wall. Here's, here's her uh, yeah. faces. Here's so, a Beast oh Mode gosh. video from YouTube. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I said, okay. Yeah. Um, so I had <laughs> my son is an engineer. Um, so I I said, hook me up with something. So he, he got me um, educated of just enough in logic so that I can, like, hash out a part and a demo. They sound – I spend a lot of time to make them sound – as good as I can with the cheesy sounds, but, but they can get it, you know, if they have to have a demo, mm -hmm. but I don't like mm -hmm. doing it because then it gets picked apart and they say, well, man, I'll up, up this and, you know, oh, you know, so I have so been there. And I, I told the guy recently, I said, you know what, when he started changing my stuff, I said, you know what, Quincy Jones never heard a note before I went into the studio. <laughs> He didn't say who's Quincy, please. He, no, he me. did not. No. <laughs> oh God, yeah. thanks. Uh, oh. So he said, "You're kidding," and I said, "I haven't ever done a demo until like, you know, for forty years I didn't do a demo." So yeah, so, <laughs> that's going beast mode. On the guy. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he backed down and and you know <laughs> loved it eventually. So yeah, of course. <laughs> so uh, it sounds like it's safe to say that Quincy's discovery of you was probably the break, right? Mm -hmm. Do you remember at what point um, 
or do you remember there being a point in your career when you started getting calls from these other producers and you're like, started to realize, all right, we're kind of the de facto horn section for this genre of music. For what we know is Yacht Rock. I mean, because yeah. what we look at it now, yeah, we're focusing on Yacht Rock and it's always our shorthand. West Jerry Coast Hay and the boys, stuff. Jerry Hay and the boys, Jerry Hay. Yeah. So w- was there a time when you're like, all right, now we're getting calls from these other people, Toto, whoever it might be. And you're like, this is kind of a thing now. Uh, it just kind of evolved, you know, it, it, it's, you know, started out as just a trumpet player. So I was working with a lot of people, you know, even if I wasn't arranging and, you know, then yeah, you meet Quincy, you meet Foster, you know, work with a new David Page and, uh, you know, that whole guru. Um, and, and you start meeting these guys and it's just like, Hey, you know, can you make a session? It, it was it wasn't ever really like a aha moment, except for when we when we did the Brother Johnson Blam record. There was one song that we played. The vamp was five minutes long, <laughs> and we were playing. What song is that? Uh, it's called "Ride a Rocket." But it only goes, the vamp only goes about, I don't know, 15 or 20 seconds. But the tape went five minutes and 14 seconds, I think, from the start of the vamp. And we were, (laughs) they edited it all down. We were playing this, we were playing the whole time. And uh, when, so we had, I guess we had two or three days of sessions on the blam. And when we went back, so we did that the first day. And that was kind of the, Really the first big thing that we did with Quincy. We played this song and it was killing. I, I mean, it was brutal. And we went back the next day and we walk in and Quincy and Bruce are listening to this song at like full volume and just grooving. And so it was like, okay, we might be okay with, you know, doing this for a living was kind of that was that was a moment and that was very early on in the process there's your demo right there get a cut of that (laughs) when i would go into a session always early on i would always say take i would take the cassette that they had sent me with a song on it songs or whatever and on the other side i would say can i get a copy of this with the horns on it now so I'd have one without and one with, you know, with, you know, and I'd say, you know, make the horns loud. So I, the brother Johnson was the first one that I did that with. I still have that cassette, but the cassette now, you know, 40, <laughs> 45 yeah. years old, it's, and it's been played over and over again. So it's, it, it doesn't sound great. And I tried to put it through uh, Pro Tools and fix it up. It's it's okay, but you know I can send it to you. But the vamp just goes on forever. <laughs> Five minutes. Uh, even if I just listen to it, I'll play it. Yeah. Over he, over. He's <laughs> the world's biggest Lewis Johnson fan. Oh so, well, um, yeah, I, he, uh, yeah. Look at my music, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he is. It's, he's killing it on this. But with Harvey Mason, Lewis Johnson, oh. David Foster, and George Johnson. Oh, I'm gonna be in heaven. Yeah. Why do you think, I don't know if you've ever been asked this and if you've ever applied any thought to it, why does your 
we compare your arrangements to, you know, we could, whether it's Tom Scott or whoever, why is your stuff so aggressive? Where does that come from? Do you have any idea? Have you ever thought about why your stuff punches and just screams at people so much more? Well, I always, I'm, it, it it's always trumpet oriented, I guess. Yeah. Um, I have, you know, I always have two trumpets. Now, now the section that I use now is two trumpets, one trombone, and one sax. Um, so we, I always have two trumpets, and you know, being a trumpet player, uh, you know, that's what I want to hear, and I, I like to, <laughs> I like to hear it like you would hear it in an acoustical setting. If you got, if you're standing in front of two trumpets, trombone, and sax. You're going to hear trumpet. You're going to hear trumpet. You're going to hear trumpet. And I'd like it to sound like that recorded. So the trumpets, the trumpets are featured. But you also push them up into that high register a lot. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I love it, right up there, where it's kind of right in the back of your head. Right yeah, it here. makes your ears tingle. Oh, man. You contrast it, though, with the Chicago style, yeah. which is, I always, to me, it sounds more trombone forward. For sure. Panko. Panko. Yeah. But that's its own feel, and that vibe works perfect. No for what question they do about as well. it. You know, they, of course, they were an early influence on me when they're, you mm. know, the first double album came out. You know, I'm from Illinois, so you know, it was like a big oh, deal. Oh, that's right. right. Oh my gosh. So, so I'm I'm curious, Jerry. So you see, when starts as essentially a live performance yeah. act, right? When you when you're full time doing sessions, were you also traveling at all on tour with anyone, or were you staying in the uh, studio? The only touring that I ever did was Quincy went out a couple times. Uh, so I did that. Uh, we did the Barbara Streisand concerts live in Vegas. Jero in the early '80s when he would have a big concert uh, on a weekend, the horns would go out. Not a lot, but we did some, you know, we went to Fort Lauderdale, Milwaukee, and I forget where else we went. Uh, and that's it. Uh, I, I went, you know, I went to Japan a couple times, uh, but that was to like record and arrange and play a show. Did you miss playing live or was, did you do it? Now I don't want to say out of obligation, but was it, were you, do you fancy yourself more of a studio rat or as opposed to? A oh, no, cat? I hate playing live. Uh, uh, I, once okay. you get in, See? The, once you I knew get, I like this guy. Yeah. Once you get in the studio <laughs> and you got Bruce with Ian engineering you and it's you, you're in the ultimate perfect situation. Uh, you know, you go and you have to go play in a club somewhere and the, you know, the, symbols and the drums are right here and you can't, <laughs> you can't hear yourself. I don't want to do that. You know? So yeah. no, I, I stopped playing live uh, early on, except for Sea Wind. How many Grammys do you have? I started to look it up, but I didn't do the, the math on it. How many? Do you six, have? It's 11? Six. Six? And 15, then there are other nominations. 15 right? nominations. Wow. It's nice. It's nice yeah. career for a trumpet. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I know. Gosh. <laughs> Better, yeah. If you're a tuba player, that would really be something. But <laughs> <laughs> when you did the um, Sinatra "L.A. Is My Lady" album with Quincy, 1984. L.A. is my lady. She's always there for me. L.A. 
did you arrange the entire orchestra for that? No, no, just you, uh, on L as my lady. He just wanted. I just added some horn stuff in that okay. tune. No, that was. I played on Stormy Weather. Uh, yeah, that that Sammy Nestico arranged that. Great oh, chart. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Great chart. Great arranger. Just mm-hmm. a sweetheart. Love him. Every note was just. Isn't he working up to it's like almost a hundred years old or something? It's still working. Yeah. We yeah. talked to Bill Schnee. I think that's who Bill Schnee told us about. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Bill recorded him. Yeah. In, in Nashville recently. Yeah. Yeah, I think on that Mandy Barnett album is where I think Sammy is on that. Yeah. Like the it, last it, thing he did or something. Yeah. What is keeping you busy these days, Jerry? Are you still playing? Are you still recording? I haven't been. I haven't played for. I was trying to, somebody asked me this recently. I don't know how long it's been, but it's probably been since 2010. I, when was that Jonas Brothers record? That was one yeah, of the they, last They ones. have it on this 2009. And then what about the Dirty Loops? Was that prior to that? So I didn't play on Dirty Loops. I just arranged. Okay. Um, a friend of mine, Aaron Zygmunt, composer, movie composer, who started out as a kind of a synth guy, pop keyboard guy we were friends through the pop world and he was asked to write a movie so i he called me up and said you know this guy wants me to write a movie are you interested in helping me um so i said yeah sure so you know i probably did i don't know 50 movies with aaron so it got like crazy busy with him uh from the late 90s until I think I worked with him until I don't know 2014 or something uh so that kind of became the focus then uh yeah you mentioned earlier that you did some string arrangements I know you're known for horn arrangements but I do see your name pop up on string arrangements now and then so you did uh, how how many of those do you think you did I mean was it pretty rare that you'd get that call or is there more out there than we realize oh maybe I mean I, I I did a couple for Whitney Houston with Whoa. Narda Michael Walden. Uh, I, the string chart on Billy Jean is me. Okay. Um, mm, nice. Uh, the girl is mine. I did the string chart on. Mm. Uh, it, you know, I have a certain niche, I guess, that I feel comfortable writing strings. Um, I've, I've done some you know, pr- stuff that sound pretty good. I did uh, Quiet Nights with Queen Latifah, which one of my better charts. Okay. Um, nice. That I did the whole chart on that. Um, do you think violins down, like you would trumpets down, like in an arrangement, and trumpets first? Do you think violins first? I mean, uh, I guess they yeah, would be the lead. Yeah, yeah always. Yeah. Okay. Um, so th- that was another Quincy that... Uh, he wanted me to write strings on off the wall. Seawind was out on tour and we were on the East Coast in Boston. And he wanted me to write strings and horns for off the wall. And I said, Quincy, I said, we're, I'm out on the road. He says, well, you got to do the horns. I said, okay. I said, we got uh, two nights off. We'll take a red eye from Boston. We flew back to LA, went to the studio the next two days, flew out to we had to go back to north carolina play at wake forest with sea wind so we did just did that but he said next time 
you're going to write the strings. And it was for Shaka Khan, uh, Master Jam Ooh. album. I said, okay. And he said, uh, you know, there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. You're going to do it. So, you know, I, it, it's not great, but, you know, it was, again, from Quincy, it's a, you know, kind of forcing me into uh, doing something out of the comfort zone. And eventually it, it became that, I, you know, I felt good. I get the impression he did that with a lot of people because Lukather talked about being pushed out of his comfort zone on human nature, but, you know, yeah, hey, yeah. yeah. that's cool. So my last, I have a, my last question is actually a two part question that I will actually ask in two parts. <laughs> so first part is, um, do you, I'm always curious if artists from the era can actually sense this resurgence of popularity of this era of music today. I mean, are you able to, to sense that, Wow, look at this is like not that it ever went away, but it's really coming back in a big way in popularity. Do you get that? Uh kind of hard to since I was a part of it, it's kind of hard to, you know, I, it's it's never gone away for me. So uh you know, I I always say, you know, I'll I'll put on what we did, you can play on what you did and we'll see who comes out, you know. Um <laughs> So Oh, we so agree with you on that. Oh my gosh. What was your second part? The second part is, so aside from what I was initially describing, which is this growing love just for, well, let's call it Yacht Rock, but music from this era, late 70s, early 80s, just from people young and old. But there's also modern artists now, John, among them, myself, sort of, trying to emulate this sound. John, maybe you have a better memory than I, but I, was it Young Gun Silver Fox or was it Oli Bullrood who specifically said the horn approach that we're going for is the Jerry Hay horn approach? Uh, well, it's Young Gung Silver Fox. The guy that writes those horn parts is a super good friend of mine who has my trumpet. I gave him my trumpet. That's oh. it. Yeah. Tom Walsh, just a brilliant player, great arranger. Uh, yeah, he is the next guy in, in both categories, playing and arranging. Just wow. brilliant. Well, it is true when I do I, my my group is page ninety my page ninety nine and I do I because the stuff that I do is Toto esque Steely Dan ish all that era I do I think what would Jerry do in this I've got some riffs that I go oh that's my Jerry Hay uh, sort of trumpet climb little 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 wow so I mean we do we take your stuff and use it all the time you aren't Sorry. the only one I know <laughs> oh I know. <laughs> Well, now that we've got your contact info, we'll just call you and say, Jerry, what would yeah. you do? I'm yeah, I got that bracelet. Or even better, would you play yeah. on it or arrange it? That would be the next thing. Yeah, we're going to have to talk dollars and cents then. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, That's why you do it. We'll go there. Cool. All right. All right. Well, then, just, I guess, the final, final question, John, unless you have nope, anything, because we good. haven't touched on Rosanna, oh, which, yeah. I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum, but is there any interesting anecdote about how that part came together or how you you had to tighten it up. With yeah, the, the way it ties in with that, that drum fill and everything was that all part of the thought process. Um, so uh, David Page called me and and said, you know, we want you to do a arrangement on this, and he said, I have a figure 
that goes with kind of the drum part okay there that yep. break yep so i kind of came back with you know that it's kind of keyboard-esque and it you know it's not really doesn't lay very well for us to play what about if we just do this So it's a kind of a little morph of his part, Jeff's drum fill, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, what little I changed to make it a little more playable for us. That is a seminal moment in the West Coast AOR period, no question. Oh, it's a seminal yeah. moment in music. Yeah, it is. History. It is. So, so Jeff would have known what your part ultimately was going to become when he did his drum fill on the basic tracking. Um, I doubt that. Okay. Um, I, I knew maybe David said, you know, we're going to have the horn lick with, but it didn't do do Yeah. You know? he did it all three times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. And I, I have the track uh, by itself prior. Okay. Uh, without, you know, without the horns right. and, you know, yeah, that's, it's kind of set up and just how Jeff plays it. Well, this was good. You answered a lot of the questions we brought up on our, our prior episode. Uh, should, yeah, I can breathe again. Should have just done it okay. this way to, to begin with. Right? It's like phrasing in horns, you know? The reason horn players know how to phrase is because they have to breathe. I'm telling you. Yeah. Guitar players and keyboard players don't know about phrasing the way horn players do. I agree with that. Yeah. When's the bass solo going to be? I know. That's yeah. all I want. People leave the room then. Yeah. Go get a beer. <laughs> There's nothing that disrupts disrupts continuity more than a jazz bass solo. A drum solo might. <laughs> well, Jerry, this was a, a really it was a yeah. thrill and an honor. So glad to have you on. Hopefully, we can have you back. We'll, we've got more questions, I'm sure, more unanswered uh, little ditties that we can hopefully ring out yeah. of you. Sure. So come back anytime, and thank you for coming this time. And uh, we'll hopefully talk to you again. Okay. And so concludes our two-part conversation with Jerry Hay. We really couldn't do uh, an interview with Jerry Hay and not bring up Rosanna, right? Yeah, people were probably uh, yelling at their radios, when are you going to ask him about Toto? <laughs> Come on, Toto, he, he did stuff for Toto. Yes, we know. It's funny we because we've there. covered Toto and Rosanna so many times, it's like we have to apologetically cover it again because it's, we've done it. But you, you can't not, right? Yeah, I felt that way in the first episode when I brought up Love is Real by Jero again, but I had to get it directly <laughs> from his mouth. But that was the previous episode in case people missed that. Yep. Part one, as you're saying. Correct. All right. Well, all good things have to come to an end, including two-parters, but at least at the end of good things, there are typically lightning rounds. All right. All right. So, uh, wow. Who's first? I think uh, I'm going to go first. All right. Only because I might forget what I'm going to say if I let you go first. True. Um, I'm reaching into the viewer mailbag. Ooh. Mail's in. All right. This is uh, from listener Uwe, Uwe, I think. He's in yeah. Germany. Okay. Um, hi, guys. Congratulations on your great podcast that I love. God, that's a great open. <laughs> <laughs> I discovered a song here that sounds a bit like Boz's Lowdown. I'm intrigued. So mm -hmm. I found this at sea. Maybe you guys will like it. Many greetings and have a great weekend. Uh, keep up the great work you guys are doing. Best. I day. like that part too. Yes, yes. So the song is by an artist, a uh, modern artist. This is from 2023. Bradley McCaw. 
not familiar with, but he is collabing with Nathan East and Louis Shelton on this record. This song has horns that Jerry Hay would be proud of, and it is called I Want You Back. I definitely hear low down in there. You got the uh, the same bass drum and bass pattern. You got the the girls doing the answer on the chorus, yep. and uh, got some horns. Yeah, yeah. We we didn't play the intro, but there's uh, the flutes on the intro. If you go back and check that out, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a nice find. It. Uh, let's see. It's uh, got a modern yacht feel to it. Love definitely. it. Definitely. Yeah. Bradley McCaw. Okay. Yeah. Actually, that whole album's worth uh, listening to because I think Nathan East is on all of it. Mm, so okay. Check it out. The only thing missing, though, is the, the second overdubbed hi-hat. It's only got one <laughs> hi-hat part. You got to put that second one on there to get full-on lowdown. Ooh, remix idea. Okay. There you go. What have you found at sea? Well, found at sea. Um, one of the things that we talked about with Jerry is his ability to take a song that has a hook uh, in the chorus. And he always said uh, that he wants his most notable horn part to be attached to the title of the song in the chorus. He, he, he always tried to connect those two if he could. And so I just happened to come across an example when I was just listening, my stuff was on shuffle and I thought this is a perfect example outside of the yacht genre. This is more sophisticated, but a perfect example of the horns in the chorus answering the lead vocal to the point where you as the listener end up singing both. And that is Breakout by Swing Out Sister, 1987. Here we go. Wow, I didn't think we'd ever get Breakout Sister in the Found at Sea section of the Lightning Round, but here we are. Yeah, it probably belongs in off the map, but I've got something else that's further off the map. So, you know, you got to squeeze so- it in where you can. You're basically playing fast and loose with the rules, in other words. Yeah, I'm monkeying around. Oh, that was a different episode. (laughs) All right. Do you even have a buried treasure that is either a treasure or even buried? Uh, Yeah, it's both. We'll see about that. Well, you know it's a treasure because it comes from Mama's Gun. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm listening. Yes. It has some Toto Brass in it, too, man. This is cool. This is 2018, uh, the Golden Days album. The song is called You Make My Life a Better Place. You make my life a better place. You bring the sunshine all through the rain. You make my life a better place. Smooth track from Mama's Gun there, baby. That's a good good pick. We talked with Jerry about how uh, the uh, other... Gun, Young Gun, Silver Fox from yes. Mama's Gun, uh, has worked with uh, Jerry's. Uh, what was it? Their horn player, and it was a friend of his, and he actually had given his trumpet to this guy, and uh, this guy had uh, certainly picked up a lot of Jerry's concepts and ideas, and so he brought them over to the Young Gun camp. Yep, nice. All right, very apropos. Good yeah. pick. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm going back into the listener. I'm sorry, viewer mailbag. <laughs> Man, this that, is from that sound listener. effect's getting a lot of use this uh, hey, lately. Hey, well, you paid for it. <laughs> True. Um, no, well. lift, uh, this is listener Cliff. Okay. All right. Uh, 
you'll see how this is all going to be relevant. Uh, okay. So you mentioned a while ago, one of my favorites, if you want it by night flight, mm-hmm. he asks, do you remember don't hold back by Chanson? A one hit wonder top 25 hit back in 1979. Is that a hit in the U S or in Europe? I don't remember that at all, by the way. Either do I, hence it being buried. So uh, he says, listener Cliff, it's more rhythm and buoy. He wants his ding. Uh, Uh, Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. I I have a suggestion. (sighs) I I like the concept, rhythm and buoy. I like that. But (laughs) workshopping it in my head, he'd be much better off if he used R&B as the source, and then it's called R&Buoy. That that just flows better. <laughs> All right. Well, boys will be boys. <laughs> Anyways, uh, since it's more rhythm and boy uh, than Yachty, yeah, definitely boy. has some earth, wind, and fire elements. Okay. With staccato horns mm-hmm, matching the vocals. Just checked into the album. Not only was one of the duo's members a guy who's played with earth, wind, and fire, but the other is James Jamerson Jr. from Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> In the credits. Well, Flint originally, I think. Uh, well, close enough. Okay. Uh, it's got uh, Steve Picaro, Jeff Picaro, David Page, um, it, plus Earthwinded Fire's Don Byrick and members of the Phoenix Horns. So there's another horn section that uh, was out for hire. But he mentions this other person, um, John, who, do uh, you know who that other person might be? Mm-mm. In Chanson? No. David Williams. Ah. He's back. Guitar guy, man. That's a name that now you know it, you really see it. I am Season four was brought to you by David, uh, David Williams. Williams <laughs> it feels that way. All right. Uh, so that gives me off the map. Right. So um, remember, this is, I said last week when you did your off the map to put a pin in it. We're mm-hmm. back now. Releasing the pin. <laughs> Okay. Because we keep, you know, if season four is brought to you by David Williams, season three and four and probably five was brought to you by the, uh, that rocking section in Asia where the drums are doing a solo and then the horns are syncopating <laughs> with it and everyone there's doing the stabs. Yeah. But what you played last week was everyone's going crazy at once. Beast mode all at once. What if everyone was going beast mode all at once and they were all playing on the exact same note? Ooh. You would get the ending to, well, let's play the beginning first. Oli Borud off the Shaking the Ground album. Here's the beginning of Under Control. <laughs> Funky, man. Stanky, but not stanky, man. Listen to how this song ends, though. Okay. Check this out. How about that? That's beast mode all at once. That's beast mode in unison. (laughs) I might need a crash cart to come and get my heart started again. (laughs) Man. Yeah. That's insane. uh, I love that. Funkier than a two-year-old bandit. Two-year-old bandit. (laughs) That's funky. All right. What do you go off the map? Well, I told you my off the map had to be way off the map because it forced uh, Swing Out Sister into the uh, Found at Sea section. Did you know that Jerry Hay, well, I joked with him about it. I kind of started poking at him a little bit about his work with the Jonas Brothers. 2009, he did some stuff for the Jonas Brothers. So let's let's start right from the intro of this and hear Jerry Hay. And I don't know if he played or just did the arrangement. Either way, it sounds pretty close to his beast mode. Jonas Brothers, World War. Three. 
gotta say that kind of rocks. <laughs> I know. I'm embarrassed to say I've got Jonas Brothers in my history now. Ooh, of, I've got them on. Uh, well, I'll come back to that. I should have gone uh, in and done a private session. Uh, you know. yeah. Oh well. Uh, now, are these the? Uh, is this the camp that needed a demo from him? Uh, no, no, that was, was a Swedish guy. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, we need a demo. <laughs> Give me real. Uh, just send him the beast mode. Do you video. know who you hired? Right. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, you go out and get the guy because and then you're like, <laughs> of ABC, and then right. you say, yeah, I'm in here. Uh, show me and, D, E, U, and Y, and X. But you know what's funny is Jerry's mocking it up, as he said, on synth brass. On You know, he said, like, the samples and the sounds aren't very good. So he's not even playing the parts for him on trumpet. He's just mocking it up in MIDI and saying, here's my demo. <laughs> How's that for you. a finger in the eye? <laughs> These crazy kids. Well, speaking of crazy kids, um, do you have anything else to add? Because I have one final thing to say. Uh, if not, okay, I'll say it. Okay. There's at least five or six Jonas Brothers songs that I love. Ahoy, boy! 